So, uh, Philippians chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, open with me to Philippians chapter 1. Hopefully you have your Bibles with you today. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, I want to encourage you, as I often do, let's bring our Bibles to church. Let's study the Word of God in our own hands, reading it verse by verse as we go through it together. There's some other passages of Scripture that we're going to look at today. In fact, we're going to look at quite a few passages of Scripture. Uh, The second one is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's just a few pages back from Philippians. And then we're going to go all the way to the end. We're going to go and look at the book of Revelation today. Uh, starting in verse uh, chapter 19, Revelation 19. So that's a little bit of an outline of some of the passages that we're going through this morning. We've been spending the last several weeks walking through this prayer that Paul prayed for the Philippian church. And what we've discovered as we've spent several weeks looking at it is that more than just a simple prayer, this is actually a, a roadmap for the Christian life. A roadmap for how we as believers should should live our lives as Christians. And so let's read through this passage again together. We're going to look, we're going to be here again for just a few more weeks as we walk through. We're looking at all seven of these statements that he makes. And so uh, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9. Paul writing, he says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve of what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, we thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts today. Lord, we want to hear from you. Lord, we believe that your word, this is not just the the words of men. Lord, these are not just the words of the Apostle Paul. Lord, that you inspired these words to be written. Lord, that these words are God-breathed, that all Scripture is inspired by you, is breathed out by you. And so, Lord, as we come to your word, uh, we do not stand over your word uh, to somehow judge your word. In fact, Lord, we sit under your word and are judged by your word. It is not us who, who, who stand in authority over your word, but Lord, we sit in authority under your word. Lord, help us in any area of our life where, where we are not submitting to the authority of, of your word, to your authority in our lives. Lord, that we would walk in repentance, that we would walk in humility. And Lord, that the ultimate aim, the ultimate goal is that we would bring glory to you. Lord, not to make a name for ourselves, not to make our name great, not to amass a massive following for ourselves, as so many are in the business of doing today, Lord, but that we would simply be a follower of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would be your servant, that we would be your disciples, that we would do it well to bring you praise and glory in the earth today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been looking at this progression. It begins with love. Our walk with the Lord begins with love. It doesn't begin with our love for God. Rather, it begins with God's love for us. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. And so as he has loved us, bestowed his love upon us, and he has showed us his love in sending his son Jesus to die for our sins, to redeem us from hell and Satan and the wrath of God and has delivered us into the kingdom of his son, set us free from the power of sin, cleansed us of all filth, bestowed upon us his righteousness, filled us with his spirit. We, in response to all of his work, we love him. And we talked about over the last several weeks that unfortunately that is where a lot of people stop in their Christian faith. But here we see that it's, we must more than just love God, we must add to our love, he says, knowledge and discernment. So love for God, uh, that we now love God, it, it, it pushes us to want to know God, to want to be in fellowship with God, to know his nature, to know his character. And of course, that drives us into his word. This knowledge that comes from him also comes with discernment. And we are able to then look at what is good and what is evil, what is true and what is false. And so we only allow into our lives the things that are, he calls, excellent, that we approve of what God approves of. 
That when God says, yes, this is good, this is wholesome, this is just, this is pure, we receive with gladness, we receive with joy, we receive with thanksgiving. But for the things that God says, this is sin, this is wrong, this is evil, this is false, this takes you out of my will, out of my plan, participating in this will not bring glory to God. We, we like God, disapprove of those things. Again, it's rooted in love, fueled by the knowledge we receive from God's word, the discernment of the Holy Spirit, causing us to approve of what is excellent. This results in us living, we looked at last week, living a pure and blameless life. We looked at last week that that doesn't mean that we will always be perfect, but we live like a bride waiting for her husband to come and take her to himself. We are the bride of Christ. We have been purchased like a bride in the first century would have been purchased by the father's family. We are betrothed to Christ, yet we wait for him for that great day where he will come and take us to himself and consummate that marriage. And so living a pure and blameless life, it, it doesn't mean that we will always be perfect, but it does mean that we live the rest of our lives devoted Devoted to Christ. Not becoming distracted, not being lured away by other so-called lovers who would come and take us and defile us. But instead we live with a pure devotion to Christ and Christ alone. And we looked at last week that even when we fall and fail, that Jesus is the one. He is our advocate with the Father. That if any of us sin, we, we have the advocate, we have Jesus, we, we confess our sin to him and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And that brings us, of course, to now the fifth of, in this series that we're looking at today. He says to be pure and blameless, not, and that's not an end of itself, but it is for something that we would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The day of Christ. Say that with me. The day of Christ. The day of Christ. Being pure and blameless for this day of Christ. Well, what is the day of Christ? It's not a length of time. It's not a 24-hour period. It's not a day that we celebrate every day on, on a holiday. It's not Christmas. The day of Christ is not Christmas. The day of Christ is not Easter. The day of Christ is not a 24-hour period. It's not a length of time. Rather, the day of Christ is an event in time. It is a future event. It is a future day. The day of Christ is the time when God will restore all things that are broken. How many of you have noticed we live in a broken world? The day of Christ, the Bible tells us, is the day when God will restore all things that have been broken because of sin. And that he will recreate the world as he sees fit. It is a day of new creation. We read about the first creation in the book of Genesis. God created the world. He created all things. And he declared that everything that he had made was very good. But we don't live in a world that is very good. As we've all affirmed today, we live in a world that is very broken. And what we see in the book of Genesis is not long after God had created his very good world, humanity partnered with Satan instead of God, bringing sin into the world, rebelling against God, choosing not to, to live under God's rule and authority, choosing not to live under God's word, but instead choosing to be an authority unto themselves. That brought sin into the world. It brought chaos into the world that God had made. It brought brokenness into the world. It brought disease into the world. And it brought death into the world. Christ has now come into the world. 
Though humanity sinned and there was a fall of humanity, the Bible declares that God did not give up on the world that he had made. God did not give up on humanity. Instead, God chose to become human, to take on the, 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 the form of human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ so that he might go to the cross, that he might go and lay down his life of righteousness and exchange it on the cross for our life of sin and shame. That on the cross, our sin was applied to Jesus Christ. And through faith in his work, his righteousness is now applied to us. So that when God looks at any of us who are in Christ, he does not see the sinful creatures that we are. When God looks at us in Christ, he sees the righteousness of Christ. When God looks at you, he does not see a sinner. When God looks at you, he sees a saint, a holy one. And so now on the merits of Christ, not on my own merits, but on the merits of Christ, not on my own works, but on the works of Christ, I am welcomed into God's family. I'm part of the family of God. I'm part of the people of God. Now a new creation, I still live in this old, broken world. But there's coming a day when not only has Christ brought redemption into the world, but he will bring restoration of all things. That is a future day. That is the future day of Christ. It is actually one of the major themes of the Bible, not just the New Testament, of both the Old and New Testaments. In fact, this Old Testament theme that the Old Testament prophets spoke about and spoke about often it's brought into greater focus through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's called many different names in the Bible. In the Old Testament, it's mostly called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Or the day of Yahweh, the, the name of God. We, we sang about that name today, that Old Testament name for God. The name that he revealed to his covenant people, the Jewish people in the Old Testament. That name which means I am that I am, his, his self-existence, his, his otherness, his separateness, his holiness, all of that contained in the name Yahweh. Oftentimes in the Old Testament called the day of the Lord. It's also called simply the day or that day. But here in the New Testament, the, the, the New Testament apostles, they, they pick up on this theme of the Old Testament prophets and they begin to call it not the day of the Lord, but the day of Christ. The day of Christ. What the Old Testament prophets proclaimed as the day of the Lord, the day of Yahweh, the New Testament apostles proclaim as the day of Christ. Every time they do that, they're making the claim that Jesus is God in the flesh. That the Old Testament day of the Lord that the people of God were looking forward to, it is not changed, but it's brought into, brought into greater focus as we now know more about God today than they did then. Because Jesus has come in the flesh. We see God for who he truly is in the face of Christ. Now, this is not the first time that Paul mentions the day of Christ in this passage, in fact, it's in Philippians, it's, it's the second time. In verse 6, Paul had said, I am sure of this, that he, that is Christ, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So this is not even the first time that Paul mentions this day in his letter. In fact, after this, he will mention it or allude to it four more times in the book of Philippians. It is a major theme throughout the Bible. So this day of, of the Lord where, where, where God will recreate the world, well, what does it look like? 
Let's look at some passages that, that help us, that, that give us some greater understanding of what this day is. So let's flip over to Philippians chapter 4. Verse 13, he says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep or those who have passed away, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. We have a hope in Christ. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, how many of you believe that? Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep or passed away. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, this is the day of the Lord, that those of us who are still alive on that day, we will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord, what will this day look like? The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. There's going to be a resurrection on that day. Just as on Easter Sunday, that, that first resurrection Sunday, that Jesus walked out of that grave, he, he rose from the dead, bodily resurrected from the dead. So for those who are in Christ, there is coming a future day of resurrection. Just like that first Easter Sunday, there's coming a, a future resurrection where every believer in Christ who has passed away, when Jesus returns and he sends out that shout, he sends out that command, that trumpet blasts, the graves will be opened and the dead in Christ will rise. They will be resurrected to life eternal. It says that, that they will rise first then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, he says, encourage one another with these words. I want to encourage you this morning. The day of the Lord is something for us as believers in Christ to look forward to with great anticipation. It's what we're waiting for. It's what we're hoping for. It's what Paul says that we're living for. He says that we would be pure and blameless. Why? Just so that we can go around and, and impress everyone with our holiness? No. So that we could be pure and blameless for the day of the Lord. For that day. When he returns for us, his bride, that when he comes, he will find us ready and waiting for him, anticipating his return. Now he continues on in, into chapter five. He says, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He says, I, I don't need to write to you about this again. I've already, Thessalonians, I've already instructed you in these things. I will remind you of them. But he says that you are fully aware, believers, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. What does that mean? That means that, that many people will not be ready for the Lord's return. Like a thief in the night, he, he, he will come unexpectedly, suddenly. That the thief, when he comes to rob from someone in the midst of the night, he, he doesn't send them, you know, a message six months in advance. Here's the night I'm coming to rob your house. And then send them a week out, an automated phone call. I'm just calling to confirm our appointment. Planning on being there this Thursday night at 4 a.m. Going to rob your house. 
That's not the way the thief in the night comes. And that's not the way the Lord will be returning. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying to themselves, there is peace and security. People putting their, their, their hope and their trust in the things of this life. Building up them for themselves. Jesus tells the story of the, 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 the very wealthy man who, who had a very a prosperous crop. He was a farmer and, and, and the Lord blessed him with abundance. And instead of sharing his blessing with those in need, he instead built bigger barns for himself to, to store up for himself peace and security. Trusting in, in what he had built. And Jesus says to that man, he says, you fool. You're not, your life is required of you tonight. People putting their faith in, their hope in the things of this life, the Bible tells us is passing away. That this world is passing away in anticipation of the return of the Lord when he will recreate the world as he sees fit. While people are saying there is peace and there is security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains comes upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers. We're not like that, he says. Those of us who are in Christ we are not in darkness. We are actually waiting for and anticipating the return of the Lord. That when the Lord returns for the believer, it won't be a shock. It won't be a surprise. But for the world, it will be a shock. It will be a surprise. But he says, you, you brothers are not like that. For that day will not surprise you like a thief. Why? Because you are children of the light. Children of the day, we are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, since we are of the day, since we are of the light, so then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober-minded. The world today is so distracted by so many things, so many things that do not matter. They're, they're, they're building their house, they're building their life, living their lives for the most insignificant of things. Paul says that they're like, they're, they're like asleep. They're, they're, they're just numb to all the realities, the spiritual realities of, of what is happening around them. He says, but for us who are of the day, let us not sleep as others do. Let us not be lulled into this false sense of security as the world has been lulled into. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Let us be sharp. Let us keep our wits about us. Let us pay attention to what is happening in the world. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, the hope of salvation, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. This passage in 1 Thessalonians is abundantly clear. Jesus is returning. Jesus is coming back. Amen. When Jesus ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, the angels came and they, they told the apostles, they said, what are you staring at? What are you looking at? This same Jesus will likewise return in the same manner. Jesus is coming back. That is the day of the Lord. It is the day when Jesus will Return. The book of Joel, uh, chapter 2, verse 31, calls the day of the Lord a great and terrible day. A great and terrible day. 
You see, some things about the day of the Lord that we need to understand from this passage, I've already talked about the first one, is that it is, there's a suddenness to the day of the Lord. There's a, a breaking in that, that will catch many people off guard. They are not anticipating it. They're not not waiting for it. They're not looking forward to it. In fact, they think us who are Christians who are waiting for Christ's return, they think we're nuts. They think we've lost our minds. You you think that Jesus is going to come back? It's been 2,000 years, they say. Did he get lost? Does he need a GPS? That's the the spirit of the world. That's the spirit of of those who mock Christ. It's an antichrist spirit. It's in the world today. And so when Christ will return, when he returns, it will be unexpected. There will be shock for the unbeliever who think that they are living in peace and security. But again, for the believer... It will not be a day of shock. It will not be a day of surprise. We will say, today is that day. Jesus has returned. The day of the Lord is here. So number one, the suddenness of that day. If you think for one moment that you can live your life in the world and then you know, I'm going to have a lot of fun. I'm going to just sow my oats, whatever those are. I'm just going to have a good time in the world and live in the world and, and get the most I can out of the world. And, and then before Christ returns, I'll get right with him. I'll turn to him. I'll ask for repentance. Then I've got news for you. You, you will not have time to drop to your knees and say the sinner's prayer at that time, it will be too late. Do not be asleep. Do not uh, be lulled into thinking you have lots of time. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. There's an urgency about turning to Christ. Christ could return at any moment. Christ could return before I finish this sermon. And he very well may depending on how long this sermon goes today. We have to be ready, Paul says. He says, and so be ready for the day of Christ. Are you ready? Are you ready for when he returns? The second thing we see from this passage in 1 Thessalonians 5 is that not only is there a suddenness to the day of the Lord, that the day of the Lord is also a day of judgment. There is judgment on the day of the Lord. He says people will be saying that there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Verse 9, he says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord is a day of judgment where God will judge evil finally and fully. The day of the Lord is a day of the wrath of God against evil in the world. The Old Testament prophets We're very keen on this theme. I'm going to read to you some selection from some Old Testament prophets. The prophet Jeremiah, 46 verse 10, he says, That day is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance to avenge himself on his foes. The sword shall devour and be sated and drink its fill of their blood. We've been talking about a, a theme that we looked at over the summer, especially was the holiness of God. That the holiness of God requires that sin be dealt with, that sin be paid for, that sin be atoned for. 
that God is a righteous judge. And he, when he returns, will judge the world. That evil will not escape his sight. Zephaniah 3 verse 8. Therefore wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day when I rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. Isaiah 2, 10 through 12. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low. The lofty pride of men shall be humbled. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Verse 17 of that chapter, Isaiah 2. All the haughtiness of man shall be humbled. All the lofty pride of men shall be brought low. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And all the idols shall utterly pass away. And the people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. In that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they have made for themselves to worship. This is not just an Old Testament theme. The New Testament apostles continue this theme, applying it to when Christ returns. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Revelation 6, verse 15 to 17. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains and they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? That when the Lord returns, the, those who are unrepentant, those who have rejected Christ, those who, who thought this was all just a joke, in the twinkling of an eye, in, in a moment, at the shout of an angel, at the blowing of a trumpet, all of a sudden, the, 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 the revelation of Jesus Christ, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, will be revealed fully and finally and there will be a day of great dread upon them. And they will cry out to the mountains, fall upon us. We would rather be crushed by mountains than have to stand in the presence of the Lamb and endure what we know is justfully ours. It is a day of judgment. This is a day of God's wrath against sin. Revelation 19, if we go to the back of the book. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened. Of course, this is the apostle John. He was given a vision a revelation of Jesus Christ, a future vision of, of what it would be like when Christ returned. Here he writes it down for us. So he's, he's writing in the present tense because he, or actually he's writing in the past tense and he's talking about the vision that he saw. But the vision he saw is what we are waiting for in the future. It is that day of Christ, that day of the Lord. 
So Revelation 19.11, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head sits many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself, that name that is above every name. Verse 13, he is clothed in a robe that is dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Who is this sitting on the, right ho the white horse? Was the Word made flesh. It's, it's Jesus Christ. It's the King of kings. It's, it's the Lord of lords. It's the creator of all things. Verse 14, he says, And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Verse 17, it continues. Then I saw an angel standing in, in the sun. And with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. That the Lord shows up and, and he destroys all of his enemies. He destroys all of his foes. He destroys every evil and wicked and debased person with the sword that proceeds from his mouth. Whether you are great, whether you are not great, whether you are rich, whether you are poor, all of those who have rejected Christ, who have chosen sin over Jesus, will be judged on this day when he returns. He invites the birds of the the birds to come and come to this great feast of all of those that have been slain. Verse 19, he says, I saw the beast of the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast and with it the false prophet who are in its presence. I don't have time to go into all of that today, but the, the main point is what comes next. They had done signs and had deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These beast and false prophet of Satan have deceived the nations of the world. The nations of the world have taken upon them the mark of the beast. This beast and false prophet, these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was seated on the white horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 that sudden destruction will come upon them. Who is the them? It is those who have rejected Christ. It is those who have exalted themselves against Christ. It is those who have not received salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It is those who are in darkness. It is those who, in verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul said, are destined for wrath. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, 
Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. On that day, on that day, well, what, what is it that we must do if it's not mighty works for God? What must we do to receive salvation on that day? This was what the, a group of people in John chapter 6 asked Jesus. They inquired, what must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. What must you do to be ready for that day? You must believe in Jesus Christ. You must believe in Christ. You see, God must judge the world. A holy God cannot let sin escape. If he were to do so, he wouldn't be holy anymore. And if he wasn't holy, he wouldn't be worthy of our worship anymore. So it's either, our sin is either paid for by Jesus on the cross who endured the wrath of God in our place for our sin as our substitute, the full measure of the fury of God's wrath poured out upon Christ, or we will endure it for ourselves. Those are the only two options. It's either Christ or hell. It's either Christ or eternal torment. It's either Christ or it's wrath. That is the choice that lays before us. It is the choice that lays before every person who has ever lived. Is the choice that is in front of you this morning. So the day of the Lord will come suddenly. The day of the Lord is a day of judgment. But for those who are in Christ, who have had their sins paid for, who the wrath of God has already been poured out upon Christ for, it is not a day of judgment. For those who are in Christ, it is a great day of salvation. It is a great day of freedom. It is a great day of deliverance. It is a day when we will finally and fully be set free of the shackles of sin and the, the, the results of sin in our broken world where we will not be ruled over any longer by corrupt leaders who are under the power of the enemy, but instead we will be ruled over by Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. And there will be no end to his kingdom. Amen. This is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, you brothers, we, however, we are not destined for wrath. Rather, we are destined for salvation. Jesus said, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on that last day. If you keep reading the book of Revelation, which I would love to do this morning, but we're running short on time. It talks about a new heaven and a new earth. That Jesus recreates the world. And, and that there's no separation between heaven and earth. But in fact, they, they come together in, in what's called a wedding feast. And, and we live with Christ forever, for all eternity. Revelation 21 Verse 3, it says, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the day that we're looking forward to. This is the day that we are anticipating. We're not making our home in this world. 
We're not like those that are sleepwalking who think that this is all that there is. No, there's more than this. There's more than this life. There's an eternal life. There's, there's life in the presence of God for all eternity. We don't know exactly what that's going to be like, but we do know there won't be any more tears. He will wipe every tear from our eye. What, what that means is that every pain, that every sorrow, that every injustice that we have endured in this life, when he returns, he will make it right. He will make it right. No more death, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more pain. Behold, he says, I am making all things new. This is our source as believers. This is the source of the Christian hope and joy. Joy in the midst of sorrow. Joy in the midst of pain. Joy in the midst of brokenness. Joy in the midst of even death. The death for the believer is not the end. We die in faith. We die in hope. Looking for the return of Christ. Looking for that day. Waiting for that day. When the sky will split open. When he will come riding on his white horse. We will rise to meet him in the air. Reunited with all those who have gone on before us. This world is not our home. We're, we're passing through. We're, we're like strangers. We're like aliens. We're, we're sojourners. Don't make your hope in this world. Don't put your hope in this world. Heaven is our home. That's where we're going. Jesus is gone to prepare a place for us. We have a job to do while we're here. To take as many people as we can. Paul talks about snatching people out of the fires of hell. To take them, to tell them about the glorious hope. This is the business of the church. This is our business. We, we need to be about our Father's business. Not, not, not become so distracted with, with all of the things of this world. Is it good to be informed? It, it is. But it shouldn't take our focus off of why we're still here. Because all of that is passing away. All of that is going to go up in flames when Christ returns. When Christ returns, we're, there's only one banner we're going to be under. It's the banner of Christ. There's not going to be all these individual nations anymore. We will be one people in Christ. We need to recalibrate our focus on winning the lost, on living for Christ, living for Him day by day, moment by moment. He is why we are living. He is what we are waiting for and telling anybody and everybody that we can that the day of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord is imminent. The Lord is returning. He is returning. And we must be ready for that day. So growing as a believer, notice this, Paul says that we would live pure and blameless lives for the day of the Lord. The, the, the growing as a Christian, making progress in our walk with the Lord, it, it's not an end in and of itself, but it's preparing for that day. It's getting ready for, for that day. It's, it's for the purpose of standing before the Lord one day soon. And so living with that day in mind, 
It should cause us to examine ourselves. Amen? Are we ready for that day? Are we truly ready? Not based on our good works, not based on our own merit, but on the work of Christ, on the merit of Christ on our behalf. Are you in Christ? Have you put your faith in Him and in Him alone? That is the only hope of security that we have to stand before the Lord on that day, is that we would be clothed in His righteousness and not our own. Living with that day in mind, it should cause us to examine ourselves. Am I living for the Lord? Have I put my faith in Christ? Do my actions line up with my beliefs? I profess faith, but do I possess faith? Paul tells the Corinthians, he says that you should do this. In fact, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I want you to be ready for that day. I want you to be ready. You can know that you are ready by trusting in Christ. And for those of us who have trusted in Christ, that day is not a day of dread. That day is not a day, a source of angst and worry like it was in my heart as a kid. In my heart as a kid, I was terrified of that day. But I didn't, I didn't understand salvation the way that I do today. But today, oh, I look forward to that day so much. The book of Revelation concludes with this word Maranatha. It means, come, Lord Jesus. This prayer, come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray for that because we want justice. We want truth. We want wrongs to be made right. We want to not live under evil men, but to live under the righteous judge, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. Come, Lord Jesus. Are you ready for that day?